and it's better to go through a few things better than to go through, race through a lot of material for understanding it, especially given that this is the Qur'an al-Kareem. <coughs> surah Kaf is a very important surah, and there are several things Allah Subhanahu discusses in Surah Kaf. The first story that comes in Surah Kaf is actually pertaining to the name, what we call the Wajib Tasmiyah. The reason the surah was named Kaf is that there were a group of young men who were in a cave. The second story Allah Subhanahu is going to discuss is the story of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam. This is Surah number 18. Surah number 18 in the 16th Jews. That uh, Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam and this incident between Sayyidina Musa and Sayyidina Khizr. And the third thing that Allah SWT is going to mention is the incident of Dhulqarnayn, who some people think is Alexander the Great, but not necessarily. But Dhulqarnayn, some person who traveled from the whole world, east to west, conquering and settling the world. Today we're just going to do the first part of Surah Kaf, which is in essence about the people of the cave. The Shana Nuzul of the Surah is such that the Mushrikeen went to the Jews, the idol worshippers went to the Jews to ask the Prophet that, or to ask the Jews rather, what they thought of this religion. So the Jews said that you should go and ask that Prophet three questions. Number one, ask him about Ashabul Raqim, and that word is come, going to come in the Surah, ask him about the people of the cave, the companions of the cave. Second, they said that ask him about the man who traveled from the east to west, and the third thing is ask him about the Ruh, so the first two will be answered in Surah Kaf, and the third one, which is about the rule, was answered just before this in Surah Bani Israel. So I will just read that for you very quickly. That is in Surah number 17, verse number 85. And they will ask you, my beloved Messenger, some concerning the Ruh. Tell them that the ruh was made due to the amr, the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمَا أُوتِيتُمْ مِنَ الْإِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا And we don't know much about it except a little. Literally, we have not besto- been bestowed ilm about it except a little bit. Just for the rapt, I will go ahead and discuss this issue. مِنْ أَمْرِ Rabbi, What does this mean is that there are two ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates something. The first way is that He creates something using His amr, His hukam. He says in the Qur'an al-Karim, Kun fayakun bi'in, it becomes. And that is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the arwah, all of the human souls. A second way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates is by creating something using asbab. And that thing normally gets created gradually. So if you look at a human being, insan, and insan is made up of two things, a jism or their physical body, and the ruh. The ruh was made instantly by the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prior to the advent of our physical self. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an al-Kareem that He gathered all of the human arwah, all of the human souls together, and asked them a question, Allah subhanahu Our jism is created through a suburb of conception, and then there's a nine-month period of gestation. And then when the baby is born, they're still about 14, 15, 16 years before they reach physical maturity. So that is a constant takhliq as opposed to instantaneous takhliq. Whereas the ru is 100%. The ru doesn't grow. When the ruh is infused into the fetus in the mother's womb, according to one hadith that takes place at the, after 120 days, that ruh is as fully developed as the ruh that a 5-year-old has, or a 15-year-old has, or a 40-year-old has. So although our body changes, our intellect may change due to learning, and at the early stages also due to cognitive development, the ruh is something that Allah SWT created instantly. The second thing, and there are very few things we know about the ruh, the second thing we know about the ruh is that it is ghair hissi. You cannot feel it, you cannot touch it as intangible. doesn't mean it's not present, it is mawjood. It has wujood but not hiss. It has presence but not tangibility. Third thing we can say about the ruh is that there are certain parts of the ruh that Allah subhanahu wa mentions in the Qur'an al-Kareem. For example, your qalb or your aqal. Right, these are two things that are also ghair hissi, but they're mojud. The qalb is your spiritual heart. That is part of your ruh. It's not your physical heart that pumps the blood. It is something different altogether. Khair for the second question, right, on the ashab of the kaf, and later on in the surah we will do the story of uh, Zulkarnain. The fazila of the surah is fascinating that in Sahih of Muslim there are two hadith, uh, three hadith actually. The first hadith mentions that that person who memorizes or learns, either way you could read it, either way, learns or memorizes the first ten ayat of this surah. Such a person will be saved from the fitna of Dajjal. And the fitna of Dajjal is an incredible fitna. It's something that the Prophet although obviously he knew he wouldn't live to see that, 
He knew that the Dajjal would come after he passed away, but yet he made this dua, ta'liman, to educate us. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min fitnat al-Dajjal. That, oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the fitna of Dajjal. It's an incredible fitna. Let me to give you an idea of how incredible fitna this is, right? This is such a fitna that Madina Manaw and Makkah Makarama are the two places that will have sanctuary, will be places where Dajjal cannot enter. The Prophet mentions in a date that there will be some Muslims inside Medina Manawra, in that place of sanctuary, who will be so deceived and so deluded and bedazzled by the deceptions of Dajjal, they will leave Medina Manawra to join him. <laughs> now one can imagine what type of fitna is this, right? And it's not that difficult to imagine because in this day and age, many Muslims find it difficult to sustain different fitnas. Somebody falls to the fitna of modernity, Somebody falls to the fitna of ideology. Somebody falls to the fitna of secularism. Somebody falls into the fitna of fashion. These are all lesser and lesser fitnas. The greatest fitna is going to be the fitna of Dajjal. So, the first Sahih in Sahih Muslim is that the person who learns and or memorizes the first ten verses of the surah, Surah Al-Kaf, will be saved from the fitna of Dajjal. Another hadith, also in Muslim, is that if a person happens to live in the time of Dajjal, and, and this is why the commentator suggests that memorization is meant, is what is meant as well, is that if they recite the first ten verses to the Dajjal, if they ever happen to come across him, then by reciting these ten verses, they will be saved from the fitna of Dajjal. This also gives us a broader lesson that the Qur'an al-Kareem is a shifa, has a certain power, right? And there are certain textually transcribed fazail, benefits, merits, and virtues of just the tilawa of the Qur'an. Right? And that shows you the power of the Arabic original. That again, no Urdu tarjama, no English tarjama can rival because the Arabic Qur'an al-Kareem is the divine attribute, is the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's those ten verses, you recite them in English, or you recite them in Urdu, we can't say anything's going to happen. You recite these ten verses in Arabic, right? Uh, that is very, that is going to save you from the fitna of the job. The third hadith, again in Sahih Muslim, actually points to the last ten. The last ten verses that that person who knows or memorizes the last ten verses of Surah Kaf will be preserved from the fitna of the Dajjal. So obviously then that means that there's a special barakah to the surah. There's a special power to the surah. And many of you have also heard there's some reports that also suggest that if a person recites the surah every week, every Friday, right, they are forgiven for the sins, the minor sins, the lesser sins that they did during that week. <coughs> This is one of those surahs that begin as did Fatiha by saying Alhamdulillah. And it is mentioned that it's particularly this surah because it's coming as an answer to the question. And this is that Allah subhanahu is giving the Prophet some revelation, knowledge that he would have never had. Right? There's no way the Prophet would have known about the Ashab al-Kaf, except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beginning with this, that the praise of this, the praise of the haqqaniyat or the veracity of the deen, or the truth of revelation, all such praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alladhi that being anzala ala abdihi, who revealed, who sent down ala abdihi to his servant. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses different words for the Prophet ala rasulihi, ala nabiyihi. The choice has hikmat in it. In this particular passage, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to make it clear to those challengers that obviously the Prophet is not negating the nubuwat of the Prophet but here Allah ta'ala is choosing to highlight the ubudiyah, right? And the reason that is mentioned here is that the Prophet on his own is not going to add anything to the Qur'an al-Kareem. It's not going to add a single harf or a single shade of meaning. So in terms of being the agent of revelation, he is a kamil ad, and he is going to recite only and only in exactly that which has been revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah abdihil kitabah, has revealed unto his servant the book. وَلَمْ يَجْعَلَّهُ iwaja, And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not made in that book iwaj. Iwaj means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not made, and there are many different ways you can sort of put this in English. Some people take it in a literal sense that it's not crooked, it's not curved, that it's not distorted, that it's not problematic, right? That there's no inconsistency in it. That is what it means by iwaj. And, and another way to look is by looking in the opposite. Qayyima. Right? And the waqaf is here. It's very important to stop here. This is one of the rules of kirat. That is very important to stop at this place, iwaja, and pause before you say qayyiman. Qayyiman is coming similar from what we do in Surah Fatah and Mustaqim. 
from the same root qaf yamim. Qayyim means absolutely straight or absolutely clear or absolutely manifest or absolutely elucidated. So it's the opposite of iwaj. So not only did Allah Ta'ala place in it any discrepancy, any inconsistency, any obscurity. But in addition, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed in it absolute clarity and absolute uh, manifest meaning. Why? لِيُنذِرَ بَأْسًا شَدِيدًا مِنْ لَدُنْهُ So that people could be warned, so that the Prophet could warn people of an immense punishment مِنْ لَدُنْهُ from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Immense punishment obviously is going to be for those people who don't accept the teachings of this book. Alright. And simultaneously, So that he could give glad tidings to the believers who again in addition to their iman have a'mal salih. And this construction, that they regularly, this construct in Arabic means that they are people who regularly do righteous actions. What is the glad tidings that they will get? That they will get a noble reward. Literally, ajr means reward. Some people take a khas tarjima of this and say they will get jannat. Certainly, jannat is part of what is intended by this, but the ajr is including many other things. The greatest ajr is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an al-Kareem, وَرِذْوَانٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرٍ That the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala existing in a state such that Allah ta'ala is pleased with us, akbar, is the greatest ni'mah of jannah, the greatest ni'mah in all the worlds the greatest name that can ever be obtained. And that is obviously a hasan or a beautiful, noble ajr. Ma'kithina fihi abana. Because of this construct, ma'kithini. Ma'kithin means to dwell, to reside. Fihi in it. So that in it is referring to the ajr. Therefore people translate ajr as jannah. That they will live in that jannah abada for all of eternity. So this is one of the many verses, but so far in our series, the first verse that makes it clear this concept of eternity. This concept that you will dwell in there and you will never ever leave. You will never ever exit. Alright. وَيُنْذِرَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا تَخَدَ اللَّهُ وَلَدَ And to warn those people who say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken a child. The mushrikeen felt that the angels were the children of Allah. The Christians and Nasara felt that Isa was the son of Allah. And the Jews felt that Uzair who was a prophet, that he was the son of Allah. So right here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making it very clear that believing that Allah Ta'ala can have a son is going to be part of that warning. And what was that warning? That warning was of a severe punishment. Maluhum bihimi min ilmin li That they have no knowledge about this fact, nor do their forefathers. Right? Now it should be very clear that this verse is being referred to specifically about the unbelievers who say that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala has a son. To take this verse and pluck it out of context, right? And use it against Muslims. That to say, oh, some Muslim is saying something and he has no idea what he's saying, nor does his forefathers, nor do the Sahaba, or the Tabi'in or Tabai Tabi'in. Yani the Fuqaha of the Tabi'in and Tabai Tabi'in, Imam Munifa, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi, Ibn Hanbal. Right? These are the forefathers, the spiritual forefathers of the believers. So that is an extreme, right, aberration to use the Qur'an al-Kareem for sectarian purposes. Unfortunately, you will find some people use this verse. And they will say, مَا لَهُمْ بِهِ مِنْ إِلْمٍ وَلَا لِأَبَائِهِمْ Right? That is the verse Allah SWT is revealing about which Aqidah, about the Aqidah that you believe that Allah Ta'ala has a son. Right? And that is again an Aqidah held by Mushrikeen, Nasara, and Yehud. Kaburat kalimatan. That such a statement of theirs, right? That Allah Ta'ala has a son is extreme. Kaburat is of immense magnitude. It's an extremely rash statement that they have made. Such a statement that has exited from their mouths. Right? And the way Allah subhanahu why he's mentioning this, right? using this construct is, you know, you see that even when we speak to people, you see those are very harsh words that you just uttered. Right? So we look at the word as an utterance and that it's coming out and it's something that is hurtful, something that is harsh, something that is the distortion. In this case, that is a complete falsehood. In yakuluna illa kadiba. Verily, they don't say, they don't speak except kid, except manifest lie and falsehood and fabrication. Okay? Now Allah subhanahu addresses the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in a very interesting verse. فَلَأَلَّكَ بَاخِئٌ نَفْسَكَ عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ in them yu'minu hadithi asafa. That perhaps, O oh my beloved Messenger, you will destroy yourself. 
you will wear yourself down. Some people even go so far to say this means you will kill yourself. But it means that you will destroy yourself, you will wear yourself down in trying to get them to believe this. And you will feel extremely sad when they won't. So what Allah Ta'ala is predicting actually is that they've come to you, the mushrikeen have come to you asking you about who are the Ashab al-Kaf. And now Allah is about to reveal this to the Prophet and he's about to utter it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows actually at this point what the Prophet doesn't know. And he's giving him an ishara beforehand and giving him tasalli beforehand. And even when you tell them, they're not going to believe. <laughs> they're going to find yet another bahana, yet another excuse. Otherwise, you would think the Prophet is going to be so happy that okay, this is a challenge. I'm going to meet the challenge. It's a done deal. All these mushrikeen will then accept Islam and that's the, that's the, what I've been commanded to do with my nabuwa. I'm trying to charge people to accept imam. And then hopefully they will go back and tell their Jewish masters, right? That yes, he got the answer right and the Jews will also come. So lest the Prophet become overjoyed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say that no, right? That's not what's going to happen. Perhaps you're going to destroy yourself, right? Out of grief, if they don't believe, right? Lam yu'minu bihad al-hadithi. Hadith here means the story, this event. They're not going to believe in it. إِنَّا جَأَلْنَا مَا عَلَى الْأَرْضِ زِينَةً لَهَا That verily I have placed everything, created everything that is on the earth as a zinat. Right? And the zinat means adornment, beauty, normally. But here it means kind of a distraction because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لِنَبْلُوَهُمْ لِنَبْلُوَهُمْ means to put them in ibtila that Allah ta'ala is going to test them. أَيُّهُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا Allah Ta'ala is going to test the people as to who is the best in terms of amal. This is also a very important lesson. It means that the dunya is a test. This isn't something that people come up with. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala is saying in the Qur'an al-Kareem. And what in the dunya? The zinat of the dunya is going to be a test. Those things in the dunya that give us pleasure, that are beautiful, that entice us, that maybe appeal to us, that attract us. The attractiveness of the dunya is going to be a test. It can be attraction across genders. It can be attraction to wealth. It can be attraction to status. It can be extension to maqam. That a person wants to be viewed as something. That is the zenith of the dunya. That you have izzat in this world in the eyes of worldly men or worldly people. And that is something that's going to attract people. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's making a test. He's going to see. Right? How are you going to respond to the zenith? Are you going to spurn it? Are you not going to let it distract you from your obedience and worship and remembrance, your itaat, ibadat and dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or are you going to be enticed to it? And then when you're enticed to it, what's going to happen, then other bad things are going to happen. You're not going to be able to get it. The dunya is something that you can chase it and you won't get it. So you will be frustrated. Then when you're frustrated, you might have shikwa towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You might be upset. Or when you're frustrated, you might have hasad. Right? The cardinal sin that shaitan had. Hasad, you might envy that person who got the dunya. Right? Why does he have it and I don't? You have a burning feeling of hasad in your heart. Right? That is also a trap of the dunya. That's not the asan amal. And surely, we are going to take this dunya and make everything on it into a barren, infertile plain. In other words, what Allah SWT is saying here is that the dunya itself and the zenith in the dunya is temporary, is ephemeral. So if you're attracted, why are you attracted to that thing which is funny? Why aren't you attracted to that being, that zat who is baqi? That he is in the laha jameelun wa yuhibbul jamal. That Allah Ta'ala is, the be- is beautiful, he loves beauty, he's the creator of beauty. So if you're attracted to beauty, zenith, why not be attracted to the capital T, true beauty, which is Allah? Why not be enticed by another abode? which is Jannah, which is actually pure beauty, plus that will never fade away. That will never be made into a barren land. That is eternal. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning this. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, actually the real reason somebody is going to come to the deen, is not because you give them the story. It's explaining to the Prophet Why is it, first I'm telling you up front, that don't grieve yourself to the point of destruction or extreme sorrow. Right? Over the fact that they're not going to accept the story. Because actually it's not a story. I'm testing them with the zenith of the dunya. This is not enough of a test actually. Simply to go to a Jew and ask a question and the Prophet answers it, that's not enough of a test. Allah Ta'ala is saying, I'm going to test them through the dunya. If they pass that test, then they will be able to come to iman. It's not enough. This is too easy way to get an iman. Now Allah Ta'ala, now in verse 9, Allah Ta'ala begins the story of 
<coughs> the people of Nakaf, right? Am hasibta anna ashab al-kafi wal-raqimi kanu min ayatina ajaba? That do you think that verily the companions of the cave or raqim, and I will explain what that word is in a moment, the companions of the kahaf or raqim are amongst my wondrous signs? So actually what Al-Fatah is saying here that this is like a minor sign. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this story. All those who have dared to ask my Prophet ﷺ for such proof. But know, all my beloved Messenger ﷺ and all of the Muslims and all of Insan until Yom Al-Qiyamah that I have far, far greater signs. Yes, this is an incident that happened. But this is a minor sign. And this is what you think is going to dazzle you. And this is actually what we're supposed to do, right? And this is why we're supposed to do tafakkur, reflect on the more greater signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Quran, the mu'jiz of the Quran itself. The sunnah of the Prophet that is the greatest, most incredible creation, is the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu that is the masterpiece of the Creator. It's His masterpiece creation. But nonetheless, Allah ta'ala is going to go on and mention the story of these people. This word raqeem. Right, the first question is, are the Ashab al-Kaf and the Ashab al-Rakim separate people? No. The word Rakim is one of those words in the Arabic language that when it's being used over here, it's not clear what it means. So there's several different uh, takes on this tafsir. The first meaning is that Rakim was the name of the dog, which is coming, there's going to be a dog, a kalb who accompanies these people. A second meaning is that Rakim refers to a stone tablet. Uh, I'm sort of jumping the gum, but there's a, a group of youth and they're going to leave and go live in this cave. And they abandon their society. The society that they abandon will remember them and will write down their names and their story on a tablet. On a stone tablet that such and such youth one day left our town and they were never to be seen again. Right? So Ashabu Rakim would then mean the people who are mentioned on that tablet. And the third meaning of Rakim, some commentators write, is the name of that town the town from which the youth left. So it's the same story. Either way, any way you look at it, there is unanimous agreement that this is one story. The Sahab al-Kaf and Rakim are of the same people. Right? إِذْ أَوَلْ فِتْيَةُ إِلَى الْكَافِ فَقَالُوا رَبَّنَا آتِنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ رَحْمَةً وَحَيِّي لَنَا مِنْ أَمْرِنَا رَشَدًا So when these young men took refuge, let me do the tarjima first, when these young men took refuge in the cave, and they made this dua, Rabbana, O our Lord, right? Rabbana, atina min ladunka, grant us from yourself, rahmatan, mercy. Wahayyilana min amrina, and provide us with rashada, rashad means guidance, min amrina, in our matter, in our affair. So grant us rahma and grant us rushd. Rushd is guidance, you've heard this famous term, Fulafai Rashidin. Rashidin Mahdiyin is the words that they are the rightly guiders, right? So they made dua for the mercy of Allah and for guidance. Now what is their story? And the story is going to unfold, but let me give you a khulasa up front. These were a group of young men who were living in a time when the people, the king and the people in their society were worshipping idols. And they went to some festival or to some event or some type of gathering and they saw this idol worshipping going on. They didn't know one another. They're not yet a group. As individuals, they were disturbed by it. And as Allah Ta'ala is going to say, He is going to join their hearts and inspire them they should leave town. Then when they are, get such an inspiration, they leave town and they meet up with one another. They see that they're fellow of their believers or, or fellow youth on their way out. Initially, they're reluctant, right, to speak to one another. And when they meet one another, one of them first gets up and says, you know, that well, why is it, where, where are you going? And one of them says, I'm going out because... And it doesn't make it clear how they came to their iman in Allah. But he's going to say clearly that I believe in Allah. And these people are being unjust that they are worshipping idols and they've left the path of Allah. The other youth say that, well, you know, we are also going out on uh, due to the same reason. Right? And they are doing this because at one point also they went to the king. And they tried to explain to the king this that you should leave this idol worship and you also should come to the worship of Allah. And he was very angry with them, so they're leaving to flee possible persecution. Alright, so let us look at this from the Qur'an al-Kareem. So now we're on verse number 11. Right, so they reached this cave, فَذَرَبْنَا عَلَىٰ آذَانِهِمْ فِي الْقَحْفِ سِنِينَ أَدَلًا فَذَرَبْنَا عَلَىٰ آذَانِهِمْ It literally means we passed over their ears, فِي الْقَحْفِ in that cave, سِنِينَ adada a numerous number of years. Right? It means that when they went to this cave, a situation of like suspension of life 
or sleep or something like that came over them where they didn't age, right? They didn't age, but time outside a number of years would pass, okay? ثُمَّ بَأَثْنَاهُمْ لِنَعْلَمَا أَيُّ الْحِزْبَيْنِ أَمَدًا Then we raise them up, right? Ba'ath. Ba'ath means to raise people up. And one of the purposes of the story at that moment, right? And here at the earlier time that this was revealed, this is why the Jews and Christians knew it. And they asked the mushrikeen to ask, and one of the reasons in the Qur'an al-Kareem is proof that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the control of life. He can suspend life. He can terminate life. He can resurrect after suspending it. And that resurrection is going to be both bodily and spiritual. Because you have had some Muslim modernists suggest that the resurrection in the Day of Judgment is just going to be spiritual. It's not going to be bodily. Right? That somehow the body is going to decompose in the grave. And it's just a ruh that will appear to Allah on the Yawm Al-Qiyamah. No. The deen of Islam teaches that both the body and the ruh will be resurrected. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala using this verb here of resurrection. Right? Of ba'atha. That He resurrected them and He resurrects them. In body and soul. Right? And then He mentions here that we may know which of the two groups were correct as to how long they spent. So what's going to happen? Let me read this. نَحْنُ نَقُصُ عَلَيْكَ نَبَأَهُمْ بِالْحَقِّ That verily we are telling you their qissa, their story, right? With haq, with complete truth, with complete accuracy. إِنَّهُمْ فِتْيَةٌ أَمْآمَنُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ That they were a group. Fitya here means they were a group of youth. آمَنُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ That they took iman in their rub. However, there's no mention of them having met a prophet. No mention of them having received a book. This is something that occurs. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an al-Kareem using the word Hanif. Hanif is that person, the most famous of which is Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi that comes to the reality of the belief of one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on their own without encountering a prophet or without receiving revelation. So these youth in essence then have this Ibrahimi nisbat, so to speak. They have this Hanif nature that they kept, took iman in their rub. Then what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala huda. And when they took that iman on their own, then I increased hidayah on them. Right? So not Allah ta'ala didn't give them hidayah. No, this is the hidayah to go into the cave and all of these things. This is one of the stories of their hidayah. وَرَبَتْنَا عَلَى قُلُوبِهِمْ وَرَبَتْنَا This is one of the things we did rubbed. We joined between their spiritual hearts. قُلُوبِهِمْ There were individuals who were hanif. We join their hearts together with a love for one another. So this makes it very clear also that the people who believe in Allah should have marboot, should be marboot, that their hearts should be joined in love and mutual love and respect of one another, as opposed to suspicion and disharmony and distrust from one another. Right? إِذْ قَامُوا فَقَالُوا رَبُّنَا رَبُّ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ So this is their declaration of iman, that our Lord is رَبُّ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ is that being who is the Lord and Master of all of the heavens, all of the firmaments, and, and of the earth and of this universe. And we will never ever make dua to any being other than Him. This is the proclamation of Tawheed. That He is our Lord. And if... Uh, if we were to say so, if we were to follow the idol worship or follow the path of society, shatata means it would be an extremely grievous, grave, manifest error that we would do. And therefore this is the izhar of them basically, this is, the, this is their proclamation of spurning this falsehood. That we just can't do it. We cannot somehow continue to live in this society. And that's a great message. This is also a theme of hijrah. So hijrah is an amal that predates the mu'mins, predates the hijrah to Abyssinia or predates the hijrah to Medina Manawra. These youth are actually about to make a hijrah because they say we can't do it, we can't live in a society. And the assumption here seems, there seems to be a suggestion of the possibility of persecution or of the possibility of being forced, and I will show you that towards the end, the being forced to worship idols, right? And they say we can't do that. And rather than do that, we are going to make this hijrah rather than doing this grave thing. That this qawm of ours, this community, this society of ours has taken mindunihi alihatan, has taken something other than our Rabb as an ilah, as a God. Right? 
Lola Yatuna Alehim Bisultanim Bayin that would only that something could come upon them that is a clear and manifest proof. Right? Why do they not bring a clear proof in their favor? They have no Sultan Bayin for their um, for the idol worship. They have no proof for their shirk. Right? So they're giving another reason why we're leaving it. Another reason why we're leaving it is because they're doing something that has no proof, that has no basis, that has no support. Right? And again, this verse is again being used for shirk. To take this verse out and to use it for a Muslim, who you think a Muslim doesn't have a basis for what he's doing, is again a distortion of the Qur'an al-Kareem. Right? It's an extremely grave thing to do. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals ayat about mushrikeen and imagine that level of divisiveness that Muslims pluck these ayat and use them on fellow Muslims. Allah akbar, may Allah ta'ala save us from such things. فَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ نِفْتَرَى عَلَى اللَّهِ كَذِبًا فَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ That who is there that who is more of a zalim? Who can commit more zulm than that person who was bound upon Allah Ta'ala a lie, who was cast a lie, who has fabricated something about Allah? Which is this, that he could have partners, that there could be more than one God. وَإِذِ اتَّعْزَلْتُمُوهُمْ وَمَا يَعْبُدُونَ إِلَّا اللَّهَ فَاءُوا إِلَى الْكَافِ that when they did i'tizal, which means when they decided to cut themselves off, they spurned, right? Uh, that which, uh, which we call it, those people, uh, their society worshipped, right? Other than Allah, okay? Uh, where did we go? Fa'u ilal kafi. So they proceeded to seek refuge in the cave, to seek sanctuary in the cave, right? Yanshur lakum rabbukum min rahmatihi. Then Allah subhanahu did nashr. Nashr means Allah ta'ala broadcast. He spread. He enveloped them. He extended out His rahmah for them. So it means then, this is a lesson for us, that leaving shirk, leaving the people of shirk, leaving the community of shirk, leaving falsehood, leaving deception, for the sake of Allah subhanahu ta'ala, whether maybe it's done in this particular way of a type of hijrah, or in any other type of renunciation, is something that is going to earn the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَيُحَيِّ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَمْرِكُمْ مِنْفَقَ And in addition to that, Allah ta'ala bestowed upon them ease in their matter. Allah ta'ala gave them an ease, a way out from this persecution. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, what is this ease? Number one, وَتَرَ الشَّمْسَ إِذَا تَلَأَتْ تَزَاوَرُوا أَنْكَفِهِمْ ذَاتَ الْيَمِينِ وَإِذَا غَرَبَتْ تَقْرِذُهُمْ ذَاتَ الشِّمَالِ This means that when the sun would come over their cave, it would rise from the right, and when it would غَرَبَتْ it would set from the left. This is just an astronomical thing. Actually what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning in the opening of their cave, was such, was facing such that, the sun would rise and set from right to left, in other words, light would never enter their cave. Light would never enter their cave. So there was an ease there, right, that they were saved during this long period of time in which they stayed in that cave from the sunlight, from the heat of that sunlight or from uh, any other uh, harmful effects that that sunlight might have. ذَلَكَ min آيَاتِ اللَّهِ This is also a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He set the system up of the sun. I mean, He changed the system of the solar cycle. Right? As a nusrat to them. Now this is a more amumi manner for us that that means that if a person is firm on their deen and renounces false kufra and shirk, that the madad the nusrat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not confined to asbab, that we think Allah ta'ala can help us within the realm of this world, Allah ta'ala can send his madad the nusrat focal asbab beyond the asbab in any type of way that he wants as a rahmat and as a madad the nusrat for some such people, that person whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides, he continues to be further guided. Muhtad is from ihtida. Mayahdi is from hidayah. That person who gets hidayah, then he becomes muhtad, he becomes like rightly guided. Okay? That that person who is on the path of the lala, that person who is astray, that person who voluntarily accepts being astray and who accepts kufr and shirk, فَلَن تَجِدَ لَهُ وَلِيًّا You will not find for them any wali, any murshid, 
Right? Wali here means any benefactor, any friend. Murshid means any guy. Any person who's going to give them that rushd. Right? And again, this is also Allah sponsor anticipating, right? That by the story, it's not going to guide these people. These people are who are asking the story because they have remained persistent under the lala of shirk. They're not willing to leave their shirk, but they're challenging you and asking you to tell them stories. So they're not going to be, they're not going to be guided by this. Alright? وَتَحْسَبُهُمْ أَيْقَاضًا وَهُمْ رُقُودٌ That you would have felt them and you would think them that they would have been awake if you were to have seen them. Allahu alam what this means. Some people speculated perhaps they were sleeping with their eyes open. If you walk past them, they would have looked like they're awake. Either way, another meaning this could be is that in, and, and probably perhaps something that has more of a textual basis is that when Allah subhanahu resurrects them, right? They're in such a state in which they haven't aged at all. So basically you would think that these are people who spent a few wakeful moments rather than they slept in a slumber for so many years, right? Here, either way, Allah subhanahu says that if you were to have seen them, you would think that they were awake while they sleep. وَنُقَلِّبُهُمْ ذَاتَ الْيَمِينِ وَذَاتَ الشِّمَالِ نُقَلِّبُهُمْ We rotated them on their sides, on their right side, or their left side. Now if you want to take a contemporary take on this, this would suggest, okay, yeah, this is the medicine thing, that if somebody sleeps and if you ever see somebody who's bedridden, they get all types of sores on their back and their body. And if they're really ill or infirm, then there's a caretaker, ideally a child, but in this day it's importantly some paid help, right, nurse, who rotates them on their left side and their right side so they don't develop these sores, so their blood doesn't clot in their veins, etc., etc. Allah SWT is mentioning in the Quran that we rotated them on their sides, yameen and shamal, right and left, right? So it means that in this case, Allah Ta'ala was involved in their bodily preservation. So somebody was then to ask, and if we were to take the broader lesson from this, that you say resurrection will be bodily, well how is it that this body is able to be resurrected? Right? So we say it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being who has the complete power to preserve the body if he so wishes. There might be some people whose bodies are preserved in the grave. There might be some people whose bodies are not preserved in the grave. Allah ta'ala will resurrect them. Either way, that is within Allah Ta'ala's ability. If he was able to preserve the bodies of the people, of the Ashab al-Kaf, he can preserve the bodies of somebody else. Now you have this mention of the dog. وَقَلْبُهُمْ Kalb, as opposed to Qalb. <laughs> Very important tajweed <laughs> over here. Qaf and Kaf. Kalb with the Kaf means dog. Right? وَقَلْبُهُمْ And their dog. بَاسِتٌ ziraihi. He had spread out his paws or spread out his four legs. Right? Bil wasid. Wasid is another one of the mushkilat in the Quran. It's a difficult word. Right? What does wasid mean? Wasid can mean sand. So perhaps he had spread out their four legs on the sand. Wasid can mean mouth or opening of the cave that he had spread out his paws at the opening of the cave. Uh, some say that they were in an inner chamber of the cave, like in a spacious area, and he was sprawled out sort of in what in English we call the foyer or the entry point or you can say the courtyard or whatever you want. Either way, wasid is still meaning that the dog had spread his paws out in, uh, you know, in the front, uh, if you will, of the cave. Alright? That if you were to become if you were to become aware of them, or if you were to look at them, or you were to gaze at them, right? That you would flee from them. You know, this firru min Allah, ayn al mafar. Right? So if you were to sin, you would have fled. Allah what this means, perhaps you would have fled, you would have been awestruck at the sight. Perhaps maybe they are sleeping with their eyes open and the sight of that would have freaked you out, right? Either way, there's something Allah SWT is saying is that the way I've preserved them was in an awe-inspiring way. Not just the fact that I preserved them, but their preservation would have struck awe in you. And if you were to have beheld them, you would have fled from them, alright? Uh, that means that you would have been filled with wonder at them. So you would have fled, and you would have fled because Allah is not mentioning the suburb from the Firaq, that you would have been filled with wonder at them. Then we raised them up so they may mutually question one another. And the question they had for one another was how long we have been here. So this is the two groups that was mentioned, that we raised them up so they would form two groups. One of them said, uh, 
said a speaker from amongst them. In other words, one of them said, Kam labistum, looking at his companions, said, how long have you been here? Kalu labithna, those companions said that we have been here yoman, a day. O ba'za yom, or part of a day. It means that when they woke up, they felt. There could be many reasons for this. Perhaps it's a time thing. Perhaps they went in in the morning and they woke up and it was another morning. So they felt it seems like we've been here for a day. Or perhaps they went in the afternoon and woke up in the morning. So they said, we feel like we've been here part of a day. Or perhaps they were looking at the soreness or stiffness and it feels like I've slept for a day or part of a day. Right? So this was one position. The other position, qalu, which is also plural, another group said, Rabbukum a'lamu bima labistum, that your Lord is more knowing, is better knowing of how long you have spent here. Right? And obviously, this is the more correct position. And as you will see shortly, they're incorrect. They were there for far more than a day or part of a day. Fab'athu ahadukum biwanikikum, that they were told to send one of them. Right? Biwarakakum, warak means with their currency, right, with their money. Probably coinage at that time with some type of coin, right? Biwarakum hadihi with this currency. In al madinati into the city. Falyandur ayyuha azka ta'aman. So that person would go and see, do nazar, look and try to find ayyuha azka ta'aman. This is also a very important sign. That Allah Ta'ala is saying that when you eat, didn't say halal. He said azka, the purest of ta'am. And this is something that number one, purity in your ta'am is obviously going to be based, number one, on purity and lawfulness of the wealth that you earned through which you procure that ta'am. Secondly, azka ta'am can also mean that if there are certain things that perhaps may be permissible, for example, some ulama of the position that the kosher of the Orthodox Jew is permissible to eat. But is that azka? Right? And if, you, if you're living in America, and I'll be honest with you, right? It's not like Orthodox Jewish kosher is available everywhere either. You have to make a bit of effort to get the kosher meat. So why would you do that when, alhamdulillah, in at least almost all the major cities now, where there's even a small Muslim population, let alone a sizable Muslim population, where halal dhabiha meat is there, you should go for the azka, right? And this is a sign of their piety. So the people of taqwa go for azka ta'am, or they won't go for doubtful, right, food. In fact, there's a hadith of the Prophet that you should not eat Right or buy rather, you should not buy a fruit before it becomes zahir on the tree. Now, the majority of people, when you buy and sell fruit now in this world, you do that before the fruit appears. In other words, the way, for example, mangoes are sold in this country, is that somebody will come off season and tell a person that, okay, I'll give you whatever X number of rupees, and I'm buying all the mangoes that will come from this mango grove for the next year. So you're buying the mangoes before they have appeared. According to a strict interpretation of that hadith, such eating is not permissible. Now I've actually met ulama who don't eat fruit <laughs> unless they know that it came from somebody's own personal grove or they know the fruit seller or procure that it was done in a halal way. Why? Because they feel that they're trying to hold themselves to this level of azka ta'am. Another way you can look at azka ta'am if you want to, it's a very contemporary thing to do, but to look at nutrition, right? That I'm going to eat those things that are best for me that do not in any way damage or endanger this amanat of health, this amanat of sihat that Allah subhanahu has bestowed upon me. But either way, they went to go and look for this askata'am. فَلْيَعْتَكُمْ بِرِزْكِمْ مِنْهُ And they should then go and bring some risk uh, from that money or that currency that they have. Alright? Risk here is again the same thing as the ta'am, that they should go get some food. Right. And you should not let anybody, you should be careful, and you should not let anybody come to know you. means that you should behave yourself with comportment, with adab, with subtlety, right? And go there and very subtly with proper adab and behavior, go and get the food, don't let anybody know. Why? Now the feeling you don't let anybody know, why? That this is what is coming. Innahum in yadharu alaykum. That if verily if they become zaf, they become aware of you. If your existence becomes opened upon them, right? Yarjumukum aw yuidukum fi millatihim. Right? That either, right, they will punish you, they will persecute you, or yuidukum, they will return you. Fi millatihim walantuflihu ida abada. 
And if you do that, if you return to their faith, you will never ever be successful. So the notion, this is the ayah which suggested that they were persecuted, that there was this notion of being forced to follow their deen. And the word here being used is millat. And you find this contract Allah Ta'ala uses elsewhere in the Qur'an al-Kareem. For example, he says that the Jews and Christians will never be pleased with you until you follow their millat. Does it mean until you follow their aqidah? Millat means their way of life. Their culture, their civilization, their society, their fashion, their ideology, right? And so the notion here is that if they find out about you, they will force you to revert to their millat, right? And if that happens, you will not have any success. All of this is the companions prepping up that person, that one of them was going to take their currency and go into town and look for the askata'am, right? Okay. وَكَذَلَكَ أَعْثَرْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ لِيَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ وَعْدَ اللَّهِ حَقٌ and in this way, we made them known to the people of the city that the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is haq. What happened is when they went, he couldn't keep himself a secret, right? Some people speculate that because they'd been there for so many years, whatever currency or paper currency or coins they gave was totally out of circulation. It's like showing up, all of a sudden I go into a store and I've got a doll that's printed in 1800, right? And the person's going to look at you and where in the world did you get this currency and where have you come from, Right? So, So this is that notion, the sa'a, the end of time, which I told you, this story is being connected to Yom al to the Day of Judgment, to the hour, that there is no doubt, la reba fiha, there is no doubt, there is no certainty about the sa'a, about the Day of Judgment, about the Day of Resurrection. When they came to know them, now the story skips here, right? There's a lot of skips, and you notice that in the Qur'an al-Kareem. This is one of the uslub of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He tells these stories, but there's so many gaps in the story. Sometimes you're looking for the ending, sometimes you're wondering about the beginning, sometimes there's no middle, sometimes there's no details, they're skipping, right? So what is being, what is filled in here a little bit in the hadith is that they were discovered, right? And the person at that time, because you're about to see that they're going to build a masjid. The community now as they found it was a community of believers. The king was a believer and the community was believers and they had heard and perhaps if you take this Rakim as a tablet, they had preserved this story of these faithful youth who had left their city due to their iman, due to their tawheed. So when they found these people, right, when the, this person was discovered, the, the people said that, oh, you are those people who were also believers, the king wants to meet you. So the king and the believers rode out to that cave. Now the interesting thing happens here that at that moment, in that cave, these people passed away. They passed away. Now when their function was finished, right, that Allah Ta'ala preserved their life to show them as the mojahs that they passed away. And now the people there, the king and the believers of this new society, had deliberation or dispute as to what to do with their cave. What to do, right? So when they had a niza, when they had a difference of opinion, بَيْنَهُمْ amongst themselves, amrahum as to the affair of those youth, some said that construct some type of edifice or some type of building, some bunyan over them. Rabbuhum a'lamu bihim, that their Lord, Rabbuhum, it's different as opposed to Rabbana. So there's a notion that maybe there's something different between them and us. They weren't sure yet. Even though they'd come to believe, and obviously these are people who believed in something, but we're not sure. The Rabbuhum, their Rabb, a'lamu is more knowing bihim about them. And Kalaladina Ghalibu said another group of people, Ghalibu who became a Ghalib, in other words, their decision prevailed. Their opinion prevailed. That what you should do, right? Uh, Allah Amrahim, that their opinion prevailed over the matter of the Samil Kaf. That we will build over them, we will take over them a masjid. We will build a masjid. So you also get this notion that prior to this Ummah, they were believing communities who built masajid, who built masajid, who built places of worship. And they selected their places of worship in part in places of barakah. And as they felt that this is a place of barakah, so we should build a masjid here. And you would find in Medina Manawar, the early Muslims did a similar thing. In Medina Manawar, shortly at a distance from Masjid Nabu, you will find Masjid Abu Bakr, Masjid Umar, Masjid Uthman, Masjid Ali, Masjid Bilal. Actually, these masajid were built at the sites of the houses of these sahaba, right? So the notion was that if a sahaba lived here, like this sahaba kaf dwelled in this kaf, there's some barakah there, due to the fact that a pious person lived there, and therefore we should build a masjid in that place. But it should be clear 
that even though the masjid is built at that place, it's not any way that you're doing sajda to that grave or doing sajda to that person. You are doing sajda in ibadah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the notion is that when we find a noble place, we commemorate that by linking that to Allah. This is the tawheed, that we link it to the worship of Allah and create a place of worship over there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in the Qur'an al-Kareem that this is the opinion that prevailed. We've got two, yeah, a few more verses. Let's see if we can get through this. سَيَكُولُونَ ثَلَاثَةٌ رَابِئُهُمْ كَلْبَهُمْ وَيَكُولُونَ خَمْسَةٌ سَادِسُهُمْ كَلْبَهُمْ رَجْمًا بِالْغَيْبِ وَيَكُولُونَ سَبْعَةٌ مَثَامِنُهُمْ كَلْبَهُمْ There are different people who took different views as to what their number was. The first group said that there were three and the fourth companion of theirs was the dog. They know there were three and the fourth one was the dog. The next group said there were five and the sixth one was the dog. رَجْمًا بِالْغَيْبِ رَجْمًا means they're like striking out and they're like shooting in the dark. They're guessing. They're estimating. Right? And, that, and so this is being mentioned for the first two groups who said they were three and they were five. Right? Uh, and it's mentioned that the Jews were of the group that they were three and the Christians were of the group that they were five. Right, but Allah Subhanahu wa then reveals here by yakuluna sab'atun that they were seven wathaminuhum and the eighth of them was their dog qul rabbi a'lamu bi'iddatihim say oh my beloved messenger that rabbi my rabb a'lamu is more knowing bi'iddatihim with their number right as to how many there were ma ya'lamuhum illa qalil and that which these people who are making these guesses know they don't know anything illa qalil except a little Okay, فَلَا تُمَارُوا فِيهِمْ إِلَّا مِرَاءً ظَاهِرًا وَلَا تَسْتَفْتِ فِيهِمْ مِنْهُمْ أَحَدًا Khair also, right, uh, some people have taken the position that because Allah Ta'ala said رَجْمًا بِالْغَيْبِ after the first two positions, so perhaps the third position is correct. So either the number is seven and the eighth is a dog, or that their number is only known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another interesting thing that all three aqwal use an odd number of the companions, three, five, seven, there are some, right, hadith that suggest that in Allah, in Allah, that Allah subhanahu wa is odd, meaning He's one, right, and He loves things that are odd in number, so perhaps He preferred for this group to be an odd number, but either way, right, we say that our Lord knows best about their number, right, and no one knows about them. Right, another way that this has been read, ma yatlumuhum illa kalil, that nobody knows about them illa kalil except a few people. So there are a few people who are privy to this knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them. In the last, right, few words that I read in Arabic is that do not argue about them, right? Illa mira'an zahira, except some matter that you can resolve in the zahir, except a known and zahir matter. Wala tastafti, tastafti is literally istifta, do not seek fatwa. <laughs> Do not question, right? Do not ask anyone, fihim minhum ahada, anyone of these about them. So this is anyway, this is the whole notion of the difference of opinion about this. And even if there are a few people who know, it doesn't really matter, there's no practical matter, no shari hukam, no iman or tenet of belief that is based on what the number of the people of Kahf were. And this here then ends, right? The story after this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will go on to do something else in Surah Kaf, and we will discuss that inshallah next time we meet.